We are beginning week two of the 40 days of prayer, and I hope you've been able to participate uh, with the devotions and prayer times over this past week. Um, if, if you have not, uh, and you would still like to sign up, you still can. Uh, you can go to cmalliance.org backslash 40 days and uh, register there. Or if you're like, why didn't you put that up on the screen so I could write it down or take a picture, uh, you can just go to the Fact Weekly. Fact Weekly has everything that's going on and we also have a link there that you can connect to uh, to sign up to get the remaining devotions that they send out for that. And I would encourage you to do that. Not only that, there's also a link there that you can participate in a weekly prayer gathering via live stream on Tuesday evenings at 8 o'clock and so there's a link to be able to sign up for that and they send you they they will send you the link to be able to be part of that live stream and so that's Tuesdays at 8 and I encourage you to uh, take a look at that and consider being part of that as well over the next few weeks and then finally uh, on the last day on the 40th day Thursday February 9th at 7 There'll be a whole Alliance family uh, gathering via live stream. And we will gather here uh, to participate, to celebrate, to worship, to pray. All of those things we'll, we'll, we'll gather here and simulcast it uh, on Thursday at 7 o'clock. They will be live at Grace uh, CMA up in Cleveland. Uh, and we, but we will gather here and worship with them. So I encourage you to go ahead and put those uh, that date on your calendar, February 9th at 7 o'clock here. Uh, that's a Thursday. And so uh, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us to, again, connect with our greater CMA family and to encourage you to be part of that. Uh, throughout this 40 days of prayer, as we've talked about, we are focusing in on the Lord's Prayer. And last week, week one was prayer as worship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we talked about the need for us to recognize who the Father is, to worship our God, and to do that in prayer. We are so quick to maybe do that initially, but then we are so quick to get to our list of things that we need done, that we want done, and, and we sometimes don't spend enough time, or maybe we should spend all of our time just in worship of him some of the times when we approach him in prayer. And so we want to continue to do that. So even as we build this next week and go on to week two, the next part of that scripture, we want to remember that we still do the first part. We still worship. We still pray in worship um, even as we move forward for this next week. Uh, Pastor Luke did a great job reminding us last week that everything under the sun is a vapor and passing away. Except for God, who is above the sun. He is eternal. He deserves our worship. Just because of who he is, he deserves our worship. Whatever he gives to us is a blessing. It's a blessing because we don't deserve it. So he is who he is, so we worship him. Not because of what he does, not because of what he gives. Those are, those are his blessings. This week, we look at prayer as kingdom partnership. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and we'll read the Lord's Prayer. But I'd like you invite you to stand as we read God's Word this morning. Mm -hmm. 
Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In some of the later manuscripts it adds, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that you gave us your son. We thank you that we read here the example that Jesus gave his disciples when they asked, teach us to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray in this way. And I thank you that we have this and that you have preserved this for us to look at. Father, as we walk through uh, and focus in on a specific part of this today, I pray that you will open our ears and our, our minds and our hearts to receive uh, what you would have for us that we would be changed, that we would be more like you. That we would submit to you, lay ourselves down. Father, if there's anything in us that we would let go of, clean out, confess, repent from so that we can be fully filled by you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we will look uh, specifically at Luke, uh, or at verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we read about God's kingdom throughout the entirety of scripture. Um, I've mentioned this before, uh, that my favorite class that I took while at, at Tacoma Falls College was Theology of the Kingdom. And um, I took that for a winterum class 30 years ago. Uh, so some of you are like, he is old. Uh, some of you are like, he's still so young, especially since my professor for that class was sitting here today. Um, and I did. I had Professor Collier. I was told my first two years, don't take Professor Collier. He's really hard. Uh, and so I held it off until my junior year. I loved Winterham. Winterham was my favorite class of the year because to me, two weeks condensed in one, done by lunch um, was awesome and I always took my final on the last day and then went skiing and uh, that was always great too. So uh, Winterham was always my favorite but Theology of the Kingdom for me was hands down my favorite. And so the concept, the idea presented there is that, that the God's kingdom, the kingdom of God is the constant consistent thread through all of scripture. And and. I'll tell you, as a 20-year-old at the time, it, it blew my mind. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. This is so right. And uh, yeah, I had not even, it was nothing I had ever noticed or seen or been um, even thought of. We often here in the USA, we don't always think of kingdom. Uh, we kind of think kingdom is something of history. Kings and queens and kingdoms, are, those are things of history or those are 
parts of fictional stories or that country on the other side of the pond. Um, that, those are, we, we aren't affected as much by kingdom thought and uh, what a kingdom is. And so, matter of fact, for me, I, I would say that my, again, it, it, was, it was fictional stories. When I was in junior high, uh, my mom on a whim said, hey, there's a play coming to town. You should, you should try out for this one part for it. They were looking for a part for a, a young junior high guy. And uh, it was for the play King Arthur or Camelot. And so that was my introduction to what a king was and a kingdom and everything. And so I was, uh, had the opportunity to be in this play and enjoyed it. And it was a good time. But that was it. And, but again, it's fictional, uh, fictional stories. You know, right around that same time, I read the Chronicles of Narnia for the first time. And again, a king and kingdom. But again, fictional stories. So that's kind of was my, when you thought of kings and kingdoms, you thought of, I thought of stories. I didn't think about God and the kingdom of God. And I don't know how much we actually stop in the U.S. and actually think about the kingdom of God. What do you think of when you think or hear the word kingdom? Do we go straight to the kingdom of God? In his essay, The Kingdom Life, Dallas Willard notes that theological books often use words like reign and rule to describe God's kingdom. But for ordinary people, quote, it is more informative to say that the kingdom is God in action. Willard then says that at the center of biblical teaching on kingdom, quote, is the idea of an all-loving and all-powerful God who is in action for us and with us. He is not passive. He is not distant. He is not indifferent. He's with us. So today we're going to take time and look at God's kingdom throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture and really five different parts of Scripture where we see, where we walk through the whole of God's um, kingdom. And we're going to try to do this quickly so we can fit it all in. But the first is that it's there in creation and it's there at the fall. Creation is where man is introduced into the kingdom of God. God already existed. His kingdom already existed. But at creation, he creates Adam and Eve. And they are placed there in the garden. And they are introduced. Man is introduced into the kingdom of God. And they get the opportunity to experience God and his kingdom in full righteousness. They get to experience it in full holiness. They get to experience God and his kingdom in perfection. There is no sin. Everything is right. Everything is whole. There is, there is perfect communion between Adam and Eve and with God. And they are experiencing God's kingdom. But then sin enters into the world and things change. They are removed from the garden. They are no longer in that same relationship with God. Sin has separated. They are no longer holy and they cannot therefore be with God. So they do not experience the kingdom the same way. But even though things change, the idea that, that Dallas Willard reminds us of that God is all loving and all power and he, powerful and he is in action for us and with us shows that he desired for us to still be part of the kingdom. He wanted to make a way for that to be possible. 
Because God created this world and he said it was good. And he gave us extraordinary gifts in this world. And he gave us great relationships and friendships in this world. And he's continued to give us those things. And he gives us because he wants us. He desires for us to be part of his kingdom. And he didn't just leave us in the garden doomed by sin. When we think about how big God is and what he does for us. The psalmist in, eight, in Psalm 8, chapter, verse 3 and 4 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Who are we? But God desired that we would be part of his kingdom. That's what he created us to be a part of. And we lost that. Adam and Eve experienced that. Oh, to experience that again. He made a way. He wanted to make a way. The second way that we see God and his kingdom is through, it, through the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, we don't necessarily see a lot of kingdoms. Well, we see kingdoms, we see kings, but we don't necessarily see a lot about the, the kingdom of God because we focus, tend to focus in a lot on the nation of Israel and God's nation. And God was really set up to be the king of the nation of Israel. That's, what he was, that's who he was. That's how it was supposed to be. But the nation of Israel continually, to, continually rejected God and they said we don't want you we want to do things our way we want to serve these gods we want to go this direction and they and the, even the elders of, of Israel looked around and said wait a minute that country has a king that country has a king we want a king he says you have a king first Samuel chapter 8 verses 4 through 9 says so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And they have done from the day, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. They rejected the king, and so they, wanted, they rejected God as king. They wanted their own king. And those scripture, it continues on. If you continue to read, he talks about those things. He says, a king, if, if you get a king, he's going to take your daughters to serve him. He's going to take his sons to serve him in war and the things that he chased after. He's going to take from you. He's not going to give to you like I want to give to you because I am an all-loving, in-action-with-you father that wants to help you. And to me, I believe he says it when he says, fine, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. I believe he does that out of his love. I, I don't believe he says, fine, you don't, want, you don't want me as your king? Fine, just do whatever. That, that's not the attitude that God has. His attitude is love. His attitude is, if that's what you really want, I'll step aside. If you have kids, 
or have had kids, you kind of know what maybe what this feels like. If you've ever been a kid, maybe you feel like, know what this feels like. Um, you know, I, I, I love my kids, and, and I want the best for them, but sometimes choices are made that aren't best for them. Sometimes choices, I, I mean, I don't know everything, but I know my kids. And, and I, I know the different things that are better for the different ones of them. You know what I mean? But I still, they, they sometimes, I wish, I wish you want, but you know what? If that's the direction you want to go, I'll support you. I'll love you. I, I'm sure my parents did the same thing with me at times. If that's really what you want to do. Sometimes those choices are needed to be made to allow someone to end up in a place to finally get to that point where they turn back and say, oh wow, you did love me. You do love me. I, I, I pray that our hearts, I pray for you guys, I pray for my kids, I pray, I pray for a lot, for people, and I pray that your hearts will be drawn to God. I don't necessarily always pray for protection because sometimes we have to go through it before we finally say, Okay, God, I hear you. I'm all in. And so if, if you have to go all the way through it to come back to God, then I'm praying you'll go all the way through it. I don't want you to, but if that's what has to happen, and I believe that's what God does for the nation of Israel, he says, fine, if, that's, if, if, you, if you need a king, have it. Psalm 145, verses 8 through 13. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Written at a time where there was a king we need to look for God's kingdom when we're looking into the Old Testament, when we're looking into Psalms because it's there and it'll show us many things about who he is. Third place we see God's kingdom is that Jesus brings us into the kingdom. Jesus refers to the kingdom repeatedly throughout the New Testament. We have it here in the Lord. Lord's Prayer. Uh, he teaches the disciples how to pray. Uh, he teaches us how to pray. And he says, your kingdom come. He invites all into his kingdom. We are invited. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We, we can't have the kingdom without Jesus. We can't be part of the kingdom of God without Jesus. Without the death, without the burial, without the resurrection, we cannot have the kingdom of God. And as we enter his kingdom, because we have called on him, because we have asked him to be our, because we have asked for forgiveness of our sins and he has become our savior, he has become our Lord, now we get to experience his kingdom. We become his disciples. 
We desire to be conformed into the image of Christ so that we can then represent the kingdom, which that's the next point. But we represent the kingdom. So I ask you this, have you received him? Have you accepted his invitation? Do you know Jesus as your savior? Do you know Jesus as your Lord? We have to know Jesus. When we know Jesus, he then gives us the Holy Spirit who welcomes us into the kingdom and then teaches us what it's like to be a member of God's kingdom. He guides us into living like Jesus in his kingdom. He gives us the power to live out God's kingdom here on this earth. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Paul says this in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. He must be talking to the church. Because we like to gather and eat and, and drink, don't we? He says it's not a matter. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but says, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what God's kingdom is about. Are we experiencing that? When we are walking in a healthy relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit brings us that. And those things are evident in our lives. We are brought into the kingdom through Jesus. Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit so we can continue to be participants in that kingdom in a healthy way. The fourth way is the church. The fourth way is the church. We get to continue now to carry on God's kingdom as we are part of it and invite others to come be part as well. We, we, we so often think that sometimes the kingdom is only when we reach heaven, but it's not. It's for us now. It's now. Life with Jesus begins now and lasts forever. We get the opportunity then to show others the invitation to be part of the kingdom. Someone invited us. Someone explained Jesus to us. Now we get to 